We went through a huge exponential growth. We've gone through a plateau and now we're right-sizing. Procurement has a huge role to play in that. Welcome to PharmaSource. That was David Ward, Procurement Director at Cataland, describing the ups and downs experienced by Cataland and the other CDMOs who were instrumental in the fight against COVID-19. In this conversation, we get into how the role of procurement leaders has to adapt to changing financial conditions and just how critical the function becomes to companies navigating difficult times. I hope you enjoy the episode. David, looking through your career, it's not small companies that you've worked for ever. Starting off in automotive procurement for the likes of Ford, Rolls-Royce. You got your first taste of pharma at AstraZeneca before going to FMCG at Unilever, and then on to MSD and to Catalant, where you're currently procurement Mm. director for global laboratories and business services. As you sort of reflect on your career, what were the pivotal moments for you in, in making the moves that you have through your career? Yeah, um, it's quite an eclectic mix, but I'm I'm very proud to be associated with those brands. There's some mm. some wonderful companies. Um, I think look, it's it's hugely situational. I, I think Ford um, and to the same extent Rolls Royce, albeit in aerospace, there's a lot. That, it gave me my grounding in procurement. Um, mm-hmm. I I learned world class tools, uh, techniques, and processes, um, and I still look back fondly on the, on those companies. Um, and I think um, if, I, if I look to why I decided to move into, say, pharmaceuticals or FMCG or back into pharmaceuticals, I think it's really about the opportunity for me to deliver value. Um, mm-hmm. Look, for, for automotive and aerospace, again, great place to, to learn and to, uh, and, and to do wonderful things uh, technically. But... Coming into AstraZeneca, I gave I got my first real taste of the patient journey. Now we talked a lot mm. about the patient journey at MSD, so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to I, I think um, explain that uh, or articulate that particularly well at AstraZeneca. But it became more than just building or manufacturing the latest cool Focus RS or at the time Aston Martin Vanquish, uh, as, as great as those things are. At AstraZeneca, there was a purpose. And the, the culture, um, it was very Anglo-Swedish still at the time. Um, I, it really felt like you were there for a, for a greater purpose, albeit mm-hmm. procurement's role is, you know, a relatively small cog in what is a huge machine. Um, I've had the opportunity to work with literal rocket scientists at Rolls-Royce to brain surgeons at AstraZeneca and MSD. And I think that's the point. Um, My role at AstraZeneca was to enable um, the most clever minds do what they should be doing, focusing on the core activities that would obviously drive growth and improvement for the company, but for the patients. My role, again, was to remove administrative burden to make processes Mm. as smooth and as user-friendly as possible so that they were not distracted or had time out of their day to do certain things. And of course, again, this goes for MSD, as with Catalan today and AstraZeneca at the time, every dollar or euro saved was then able to be put back, rerouted into the company to improve 
the commercial situation. So whether it's working capital for MSD um, so that they could fund an acquisition machine or with Catlin right now, um, our situation is, you know, it, we're, we're facing multiple challenges, primarily off the back of the of the COVID pandemic um, plateau and subsequent decline um, for, the, for that. Uh, for those uh, vaccines and and for those uh, products, um, getting cash in the door, cash is king. Getting cash mm. in the door firms up the the organization's position. So by creating value, whether that be on savings or on uh, in respect to uh, working capital, we're able to recycle that back into the organization to have a stronger position, so they can focus on what is core. Mm-hmm. What you're talking about there. David, are some very different situations. And I guess your role has to adapt to those different situations. Pharma's been on such a roller coaster through the pandemic. And Catalunt, as well as other CDMOs, of course, played an absolutely pivotal role during the pandemic. And then since the pandemic, as you say, the need for those vaccines has receded. How has that changed the priority that procurements had to deal with? Yeah, I, I don't think it's unfair to say it's it's a night and day experience. Mm. I was with uh, MSD, Merck and Co. in the US um, for uh, just under six years. MSD was very much on a huge growth trajectory. Uh, its oncology drug, uh, Keytruda, is still, uh, I believe, still the absolute cutting edge of uh, oncology uh, medicines and very much eating into the market share of uh, Novartis, J&J, and the situation was very different for MSD as it is to Catalan. And my role at MSD was very much less focused on cost savings um, and more about enabling and driving growth. So whether that be penetration into new underserved, underserved markets mm-hmm. in developing and emerging markets, um, ensuring a strong, uh, absolutely key strong um, uh, regulatory posture and audit posture, um, but leveraging key global supplier partners to help with the penetration into those markets, whether it be a translation services, um, marketing services through um, WPP or the the Omni Group. My role at Catalan is very different Mm. on a really positive note procurement has an incredible opportunity to make a difference at, at, at Catalan. It isn't an afterthought. It isn't a peripheral function. We are front and center in the business. We are going through a, yeah, we're, we're going, we're experiencing a great deal of decline uh, post-COVID. Just to provide some context, um, in the U.S., around 70% of the U.S. population was, was vaccinated by um, Catalan. Hmm. Um, Catalan partnered with AstraZeneca, with Moderna, with uh, Johnson & Johnson, um, and a similar story in Europe. Um, the largest uh, vaccine manufacturing uh, site, Bloomington, in the US went from, I think, around 1,500 FTEs um, to peak pandemic around, I think it was around 3,000, 3,500 FTEs in the space of weeks. So that's a huge ramp Huge I mean, we talk about exponential growth, Mm. (laughs) Uh, perhaps a little unsustainable, we can say now in retrospect, but I was reminded in a conversation recently with our chief chief commercial officer, uh, a guy called Jonathan Arnold, he reminded me at the time, in that moment when 
all we were seeing were prime ministers, premiers, presidents of countries um, asking people to stay at home. We almost had a war mentality, a war footing towards what was a, a deathly um, a, a deathly virus, a, a possibly becoming endemic rather than just a pandemic. Catalan had an opportunity, along with you know, along with its its mm -hmm. customers, uh, the major the major pharmaceutical companies, but. Catalan not only had an opportunity, but a responsibility to produce vaccines to safeguard and protect as many people as possible. Mm. And, a, and a big part of what uh, Catalan does and, and still does today is produce and manufacture drugs at an affordable price. So those countries that don't have such well-established, well-funded healthcare systems can also be served, can also access the uh, the medicines that, in this case, the vaccines. Now, look, um, it's heavily politicized and I'm not even going to go anywhere near that. You know, ob obviously, we're on a huge downturn and I'm glad to say it's a really positive mm -hmm. thing for humanity. But we, we're on a, on a significant decline and uh, COVID is, I think, reframed in the general population psyche. What that means to Catalan's business is we went through a huge exponential growth and now we've gone through a plateau and now we're right-sizing. Mm -hmm. And procurement has a huge role to play in that. So, you know, just from the basics, accurately forecasting revenue and subsequent spend with key supplier partners who are instrumental in supporting Catalan throughout that exponential growth period, those relationships they require constant monitoring and, and support and, um, and management. Um, I'm in the middle of that right now in terms of one of our major lab consumables and equipment suppliers. Um, we have a global agreement with them and um, you know, business has been incredibly good over the last two, three years. And without them, I think Catalan would have failed mm -hmm. and subsequently J&J. &J. AstraZeneca and um, and uh, Moderna would have failed in um, in their bid to 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 vaccinate as many people as possible. But we're at, we're at a different junction now. We're at, we're at a different point in our relationship. We're at a different point in our in our sales forecasting and the revenue. Um, so it changes the nature of those conversations with those suppliers. Um, so you have to find new, creative, compelling reasons to continue working with Catalan and to keep us as their, their, their primary or a strategic uh, supply, uh, uh, client of choice. Um, I think, again, I mentioned it before in the example that I gave, um, one, one key area that we're looking uh, to improve upon is, is working capital payment terms. Mm -hmm. I, I, again, Basics. We're having to fix some of the basics, but these these are really meaningful, impactful measures that the business will benefit from. Um, whether you're rapidly growing, uh, such as MSD, or maybe going through a period of decline and contracting as a business, as with Catalan, cash is still king, mm -hmm. and it gives the CFO and the organisation options on how to best invest that money back in the door. If we contrast, let's just say, the good times to the leaner times, let's say, how does procurement have to show up internally? I mean, what does that look like in terms of mm. 
frequency of reporting, the, the types of meetings you have. I'm guessing you're not walking in with uh, massive slide decks about the future of procurement <laughs> these days. How does that change? Yeah, look, linking to kind of the adaptability of procurement, I, I, I think we're kind of the, the organizational Swiss army knife. Um, and we've got multiple tools, multiple facets, depending on, on the, the company or the industry situation. But I don't know about you, Lou. I, I do own a Swiss Army knife. I was given it along with my work permit arriving in Switzerland. I've not had a Swiss Army knife since I was 12, I don't think. <laughs> You're missing out. <laughs> you know, there's maybe 12, 13 specific tools on uh, on on swiss army knives but but really how many do you use i think I'm, i must use about two or three and that's the corkscrew presumably the, the corkscrew absolutely and the tin opener when i can't find the uh, can't find the can opener but to the point I, I think we can procurement can be incredibly adaptable and flexible to the situation within the company so to answer the question directly how do we show up i think first and foremost is know your audience mm-hmm. Be very aware of the of the company's situation. You, you need to be painfully aware. But whether it's a stakeholder in manufacturing engineering or somebody within the HR community, they're going to have common enterprise-wide goals and objectives to hit, but their priorities are going to maybe look slightly differently. And to your point, um, Luke, know your audience going in and try to understand what they need right now. Mm. I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast, I'm confident everybody listening to this podcast can pull a 20 to 30 page slide deck with beautiful, colorful dashboards, graphs, and various four box segmentations. But is that really what the stakeholder needs right now? Is that where the business is right now? Uh, and, you know, I, I made the reference about Catalan's position, you know, moving to, um, to well, driving um, improved payment terms to leverage our working capital position. Um, the, uh, the, the stakeholder that is having problems getting their supplier paid because you've got a completely unusable, unfriendly P2P system, um, and that supplier is threatening to, to, to stop goods or services. Um, maybe those are the things that you want to zone in on. My advice here is yeah, know your audience, actively listen, Go in prepared. You will have your own agenda, but be self-aware. Read the room and then formulate your value proposition around that. And look, again, I'm sure there'll be a diverse group of listeners following the podcast, but you know, I can hark back to a time at Unilever where we were considered by McKinsey and other top-tier consulting firms. The procurement organization was considered above upper quartile in terms of performance and maturity. I've been there. I've mm. done it. And it was wonderful. But Catalan's in a very different situation to what Unilever was then. You need to understand where you are as a procurement organization, where the business is, and link your activities, your priorities to the enterprise goals and objectives. It's as simple as that. Mm. I think whether you're new into role, as, as I am, relatively new into, into my role at, at Catalan leading uh, global labs and, and business services, or whether you're part of a more established uh, procurement group, look for every opportunity to listen, to learn, to adopt a service mindset, to help fix some of the basic problems and take an, take an enterprise view. Mm-hmm. Procurement, we are often guilty of staying within our swim lane. 
because we're very busy. It's all too easy to say, hey, look, that's not really procurement's responsibility. It may not be, but you've got a stakeholder. There's an opportunity to change the perception and win hearts and minds here by doing a little bit of fixing and problem solving. One of the benefits that we have typically in organizations, we're highly matrixed. So whether you have a relationship directly or through someone in your peer group within procurement has the relationship, say, in IT, I'll go back to the P2P um, uh, example, or financial shared services, you know, it, within your peer group, you have the individual that's managing professional services and within financial mm -hmm. services or outsourcing. You can help solve what are relatively basic problems, which are maybe slightly outside of our you know, uh, our swim lane, you have an opportunity there to start building up equity. And I think with that equity, then starts to come credibility. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It needs constant management and consistency. But be patient and continue to look for those opportunities. And again, procurement needs to adapt and flex to the to the situation, to the to the opportunity, but constantly evaluate and reassess the value proposition in the moment. You might have a trajectory of getting to that upper quartile Unilever position. That, that's an aspiration. That might be three to five years ahead. So what are the things that you need to be doing now? Given the very clear focus on procurement and, and cash flow, where does that leave other strategic priorities, would you say? So thinking about sustainability and, and sort of how you can work with your suppliers to improve ESG. Where does that fit in at the point you're at on the roller coaster? Yeah, look, those things don't go away. Mid and longer term, they are the areas, they're the elements that continue to drive sustainable competitive advantage and growth. I, I remember ooh, way back, I think 15 years ago, as, as, I, I think it was either Rolls-Royce or, or even Ford, a really simple statement, but it's true. Those companies that operate more sustainably and are more aware and have greater transparency over its operations, how to reduce waste, both from a manufacturing perspective, but also an environmental impact perspective, are more efficient companies. It stands to reason. We don't sign up to ESG or sustainability goals just to tick certain mm. boxes. It's because they create real demonstrable value both internally and externally and i think while we have those checks and balances at the organizational level and often falls into procurement's lap to continue managing the organization is headed in the right direction what would you say one of the most rewarding experiences you've had in the procurement function yeah that's a really good question there's lots of examples that come to mind but one in particular and very recent when working at MSD in my role as head of indirect procurement for Europe, Russia invaded Ukraine. Both of those markets fell under my geographic responsibility. MSD Merck is, is a very US centric company. The expectation was on me to provide a, a regular update and assessment of the situation to my leadership, along with a select number of individuals from other functions formed a task force. The value that I brought as procurement was to leverage our key supplier partners to firstly connect with and ensure the safety of MSD employees based in Ukraine and their families. And then secondly, put in place a plan to move them 
outside of the country. Now, a lot of men had to stay back uh, to support the defense of the of the country, but um, we were able to successfully uh, evacuate a lot of families out of uh, out of Ukraine and into neighboring countries. And again, using leveraging key supplier partner relationships through the likes of Amex GBT, finding them temporary uh, housing in hotels, and then even through the employee network with MSD. And I'm incredibly proud of, of the of the, uh, the MSD employees um, in Poland and in Romania. Um, they they were taking in displaced um, MSD employees. I thought that was wonderful. I think also. Um, and and what's what's key going back to the patient journey here is um, there were a number of um, Ukrainian patients enrolled in oncology trials, um, and due to the um, uh, due to the conflict, they were displaced either within Ukraine or moving into neighboring countries. So there was a concerted effort um, again to work with uh, leverage and work with key supplier partners such as translation services. Um, um, healthcare professionals to re-engage with and to reconnect with those patients um, in the oncology trials and ensure that they had the, the medication, the life-saving medication that they so sorely needed. Um, and I think it, within a few weeks for those patients that had successfully moved outside of Ukraine, we were able to recontinue supply of those, those medicines and, and the trials. Um, Again, procurement was just a, a very small piece in the puzzle or a small cog in the machine. But when we talk about purpose at, at, at the human level, I, I, after 21 years of being in procurement, I really struggled to point to another experience, another activity or project where I've really been able to help somebody. Um, and you know, pivoting to Russia, uh, MSD, along with a lot of uh, the, the majority of Western companies operating in Russia, had to fundamentally reassess its position, its role in 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 the in the market. And Russia was a was a hugely important developing and emerging market uh, for MSD, um, both in terms of the human um, healthcare, but also animal healthcare, so livestock and agriculture. So there was uh, fairly large operations in Russia, um, as well as around 300 um, uh, permanent resources. Uh, two of my team members were based there. So over a period of time, uh, and rightly so, under uh, a lot of political and uh, social pressure to, to exit Russia, um, I supported MSD to um, fundamentally restructure its business operations um, to have an exit plan to uh, to come out of Russia um, in terms of its sales and uh, ha have an exit plan in terms of no longer being uh, an organization in which would proactively look to develop or sell to the market. But back to the same point with the Ukrainian uh, patients, continue to provide life-saving medicines to the patients that were already enrolled in oncology programs, and and I have to say, look, it's it's a it's a really difficult, very nuanced situation, but again, the the human factor comes through here. So I spent a lot of time working with uh, my supply chain peers, with logistics providers, to find ways in which to transport um, the oncology medicines into Russia safely, 
but finding ways in which we could supply those sorely needed medicines to the patients. David, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you, Luke. A pleasure and a privilege. All the best. Thank you for listening. As ever, you can head to pharmasource.global for more insights, best practices and interviews from leaders in procurement and partnering from right across the pharma and biotech industry.